0: Hello and welcome to Sketch Therapist, the podcast that improves your sketch life. I'm Roshan Curé and in this week's episode, I do a bit of sketching, a bit of sweating and a lot of searching, but it all has a happy ending. I have a very nice commission to do at the moment. It's for the head honcho of a head organization type of a thing. And I can't really say much more than that because I'm sure it's supposed to be a surprise. The presentation is coming up soon and I will be able to tell all then who it's for, what it's of. Well, I could tell you what it's of actually, because that's what I'm going to tell you today in this episode of Sketch Therapist, the podcast that improves your sketch life. Well, I hope it's going to improve your sketch life today because You know, sometimes I do get very nice jobs and this one was particularly nice. And I hope that you hear what I have to tell you about sketching, where I was sketching and think, do you know what? That sounds like a really nice thing to do. Okay, so the person who's getting the the presentation, the person who's getting the painting has an affinity for fish. This person really likes fish. So I, I decided that for the painting, I would go to a really fantastic fish shop and paint the display. So it would have to be somewhere with a pretty spectacular display. And I knew of just such a place. Well, I'll tell you where I went. I'm not going to hide because why would I? It's a fabulous place. It's called Galway Bay Seafoods and it's right in the heart of Galway. It's right on the docks, which is a nice place to go anyway. And it was a nice day. It was a lovely day. It was sunny. It was nice. Everything was lovely. So off I went, and by 9 a.m., I had my sketchbook out. What was I using? I was using an A4 watercolour sketchbook with 200 gram paper. Uh, it's a hardback, um, it's heavy enough, it's got a, a decent amount of pages in it. Now, I had woken up a little bit later than I should have. I woke up with 15 minutes to get up, get a shower, get dressed have a cup of tea. Actually, I didn't even get the cup of tea, but 15 minutes to get out and hit the road. So that wasn't really long enough to go and organise my art stuff properly. And I wish I had because it had devastating consequences, which you'll hear all about in a minute. So if I had had extra time, I would have brought a small hardboard uh, board to lean on, to attach my paper to, tape it down. But I didn't do that. So instead, I brought this, I brought the sketchbook with me and I, I know the sketchbook paper isn't going to let me down. It's a really excellent paper that I use um, and I knew it wasn't going to let me down. So that's what I brought. I brought my magnetic clips for attaching to the sketchbook so that I could attach my metal paint box to it. I had a fair idea I'd be standing up in the fishmongers and not sitting down. I forgot to bring a small little stainless steel clip on pot for attaching to my sketchbook as well, which I would put water in into which I would put water so that I wouldn't have to have somewhere to stand my little pot of water. Forgot that, didn't bring it. Luckily, I brought my water brush. Now, the water brush is the brand Caran D'Ache and it's really, really good. It's the best type of water brush I've ever used. And I have been, total transparency, given three brushes for free. Three, three brushes, all different sizes. Um, of water brush. So was everybody else who went to um, Amsterdam Urban and Symposium in 2019. So I wasn't the only one. They decided to dole out tons and tons of water brushes so that people would use them and see how wonderful they are. And the gamble has paid off because here I am telling you that of all the water brushes I've ever used, I like the Carindash the best. So the reason why I like it is so you know that a water brush is not a brush for using watercolor it's a brush a plastic brush that has a reservoir in the handle into which you fill water and then it slowly runs down the inside of the brush through the tip through the paintbrush bit and you can paint away in places where you can't bring a little pot of water so it's really a fantastic invention the only thing you have to do is remember to bring a big piece of kitchen paper with you if you're going sketching because Cleaning, changing colours in uh, with a water brush isn't straightforward. You have to squeeze the water through and you have to give it a little wipe on the water brush before you go any further. So so it's really handy to have a piece of kitchen paper stuffed up, maybe your left hand sleeve if you're right handed. That's what I did anyway. And that way you can squeeze. There's two squeezy bits in in a Caran d'ache. This is the genius you see. You can squeeze the middle bit to squeeze the water through. And clean your clean your colour off your brush, so say you're going from yellow to paints grey, Well, you're really going to need to clean your brush thoroughly. It also has a kind of a pump thingy at the end of it so um how would you call it a piston hydraulic piston kind of thing if that's the right description um and when you pull that when you when you push that down the 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 water brush is empty it's got no water, and when you put the brush, take off the unscrew the little brushy bit and pop the brush into a reservoir of water like a jam jar or something like that and then just pull up the piston hydraulic thing and it sucks up water that way just like a converter. So it's really handy it's really handy and the, and the water in it is decent it lasts a long time so a lot of them don't contain very much water but this is this is design that I can really get behind and it meant that I could paint my whole morning's work standing up in the fish shop so what did i do all right well i went in and they're very nice they're all very friendly and the first thing i noticed was the display of um prawns prawns in their shells and they're spilling out of a little black plastic kind of a bucket spilling out onto the bed of ice and they've, they're all pointing in the same direction this is important and they've got little black shiny eyes and they're orange orangey pink so you can imagine them they've got lots of legs lots of antenna and i love these things i love these prawns i what do i make with them i make paella I make gambas plancha, not as well as my older brother does, but I've done it. Uh, what else do I do? Uh, well, mostly that. That's it, really. Mostly that. Oh, and I suppose the odd curry, nice prawn curry. Mm. But in their shells, they're really nice. I don't take off the shells because they look so nice. And I figure that, you know, it's kind of like part of the fun to chomp your way through the, the, the prawn tails and peel them and everything on your plate. I like doing that. I know people prefer to have them just, you know ready to go but I like them with their shells on not alone that but I like to boil up the shells afterwards after I've used them after everybody's used them scrape them off people's plates yes into a casserole um into a big pot and cover them in plenty of water and make an absolutely delicious stock from which you can make bisque or all manner of things just other paella lots of things put in the freezer use it again it's better to use it fresh anyway so those were the prawns big fat lads and they were they were tumbling along their way as if charging through the watery depths, and they led into sardines, and they were also facing the same direction. Beautiful little navy black shiny fellows, um, and they were also as if swarming through the depths. I painted them, and then they gave to a big pile of herrings, and the herrings were a bit bigger than the sardines, and they looked amazing. And you know, herringbone, herringbone. Uh, actually, no, I'm 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 gonna say a wrong thing here I was going to say herringbone pattern but that's probably the actual bone of the herring yeah it probably is well the scales on the herring they're really cool they're they, they're not really well they're kind of scaly but they're also you could also represent them well with a pen by just doing um like a you know a crisscross pat- pattern so anyway those were the herrings and they looked amazing too and they were sort of navy and shimmering and white um they had lots of bloody bits around their eyes which might look a bit sad and everything, you know, they've probably been, I don't know, clubbed. Oh, that's bad. But it, it makes for a great little painting because um you can just do a little dab of red and it looks great. So those were the sardines going into the herrings and then they went into mackerel. So you can imagine this big swathe, this big shoal of fish starting off tiny, getting bigger and getting bigger again into the mackerel. The mackerel, of course, are beautiful, um dark black navy backs with black stripes, black uh, sort of a zebra pattern well mackerel pattern really on their backs and they just look beautiful and I'm such a fool that I thought that there was just all sardines and they just had some really big ones at the front so so stupid so stupid you'd think I'd uh, have immediately realized that there were sardines swimming into herring swimming into mackerel and it looked amazing again it looked like they were rushing through the uh the endless depths of the ocean on their way to well I don't know somewhere Iron Islands. Fishmonger told me that there's loads of sardines and herrings around the Iron Islands and they don't come too close into shore. He also told me that there's no point going much further out because all the international boats have taken all the fish. Um, And I know from what I've read that the international people, you know, the Spanish and the French, they don't behave themselves in terms of keeping to their boundaries as they might. So um, one of these days I might turn into an IREXIT person. But you know what? I'm going to leave it right there because I'm not. Um, first of all, I'm not going to turn into an IREXIT person. That's uh, kind of the Irish for Brexit. And uh, secondly, I haven't the first clue what I'm talking about. So I'm going to gracefully end that particular strain of thought right there and go back to the sketching. OK, so those were the sardines going into herrings, going into mackerel. And then just above them, in comes one of the fishmongers, and doesn't he plunk an enormous fish right in the middle? And it was a conger eel. It was a beauty. It was a beauty. And he coiled up the conger eel right on the middle of the bed of ice. And the conger eel was so fresh and he coiled it and it looked just like its mouth was open and it looked just like a snake poised to strike. So my mum would hate it. My mum, Sinny, cannot abide snakes. She hates them more than anything in the world. That was the congreel And the congreel looked amazing. And I could have drawn it from the side, but I chose not to. I said to myself, no, give it a whole foreshortened treatment. I thought it looked really cool. So that was the congreel And then uh, what else was there? Oh, there was a beautiful spotted ray beside the congreel Now, I will tell you that I have... For some reason, the Instagram algorithm has decided, not unreasonably, that I love Reels of Rays. And so I get endless an endless diet of Reels of Rays. And they are beautiful and they're so serene and they just seem to want to hang out with their pals. And they float through the water and they really are tremendous. And dead, they aren't half as elegant and half as beautiful, but still made a gorgeous sketching subject. So I was pretty happy with that. When I finally got onto him, I actually didn't go on to him after the uh, after the prawns. So what I did was prawns, sardines, herrings, prawns, sardines, herrings, mackerel first, followed by the congreel, And I'll tell you how I did the congreel. So the congreel. I decided now I was drawing on separate pieces of paper because I didn't want to whip out a massive piece of watercolor paper in the fish because it wouldn't have worked anyway. So I decided I would capture my sketches in a sketchbook or on loose sheets of paper and then work from them in the studio, which is what I'm going to do um it had the added advantage of not feeling any pressure to get the drawing right because if it doesn't work out you just turn the page so i did the congreal i decided to draw it in a foreshortened way staring up at me like a snake and i drew it very roughly with my sailor foodie 55 degree pen loaded with deatramentus document ink brown which is just the best ink it's so good it's so good and full disclosure they give me lots of ink. They give me as much ink as I could possibly use if I live to be 150. And that's not a word of a lie. You should see what I have. I have so much ink. But it's great ink. It's completely waterproof. So once it's on the page, it's not going to budge. Just make sure you shake the bottle. I've said that before in the pod. Um, and I drew out my conger And then I used my water brush to paint the colours of the flesh in. Now, I don't know. I think conga are supposed to be kind of dark grey. But this guy wasn't dark grey. I don't know. Do they lose their color when they die? Maybe they do, but it was very pale, and I suppose you could describe it as well very pale, very pale, you know, ashen, ashen. It was kind of ashen. So it was pale greys and pale pinks and pale browns, and I used my um as I say my Caran d'Ache water brush to capture all the colors there, and it came out really well. I was delighted. I even managed to get the um the muscular, the you know the way in a conger eel on the side of the body. You can see. Um, Almost like a six pack, except it's like a 15 pack. I don't know if it's muscles or a rib cage, but anyway, it looks like a really, really tight set of abs. That's what it looks like. Um, and I was able to, to pick those with the water brush and the paint. Um, and it looked really good with the help of the little lines of the, water, the foodie pen as well. So that was my conger And I suggested a few shadows around the base just to show that it was on crushed ice. So I thought that looked that came out really well as well. So that was my congreel And then after that, I moved on to the two beautiful anglerfish. And it reminded me of um, an incident, which I'll tell you about, because you might not have read my substack piece. And I'll tell you about my association with anglerfish. So my family had a house in Cleggan when I was a young thing. And, you know, it was great when we were kids. And it was great when we were teens as well. But you know what teenagers are like. They're always looking for a little bit of action. And I, when I was about 15... I used to go wandering around I'm not going to say looking for trouble exactly but as I say looking for action looking for something something to happen and I used to sort of you know off I'd go and wander around the place and one evening I went down with my brother my brother was 18 months or is 18 months younger than me and I was kind of the boss so you know I would say we're doing this we're doing that and he'd kind of just follow along he, he never came up with the ideas uh just saying so uh one one evening we went for a stroll down to the pier in Cleggan Cleggan Harbour, um, and we were walking along admiring I don't know just looking at the trawlers as yes, you do, and a man came along and he was a bit staggery and he was like, "Hello, I don't know. I'm not going to even try my Connemara Cleggan accent. Well, here we go anyway. Would you like Would you like a present of some fish?" And I said, uh, "Yes, yes, please." And I could tell there was something funny about him, but um, you know, not so much to say, "No, thank you," and race off home. But he was drunk. He was drunk and he had a bottle of wine and he said, would you like to come down to my boat and we'll go into the boat and we'll get we'll get some we'll get some fish. I'll get you some fish. You can bring it home. That sounds a bit like an old fella voice. He wasn't an old fella. He was a he was a young fella. He was probably only in his 20s, thinking back. And um, anyway, my, my brother wasn't into it and he sort of sauntered up and down nervously along the quay. Um, I said in my substack that he he wandered off home, but I don't think he did. He just just wandered up and down. Wasn't having any of it, had no interest, had a good instinct for things you shouldn't do. Unlike me, who had zero instinct for things you shouldn't do. Still not great with it, actually. Um, anyway, I went down into this trawler with this fisherman, this drunk fisherman in his 20s. Not a good plan. And he brought me down into the hold all on our own, nine o'clock at night. And he, uh, sure enough, in the hold, there was a couple of big fish lying around, a couple of angler fish. And he picked up one and he gave it to me. And he said, there you go. There's a, there's a nice fish for you. I can't do his accent. But anyway, off I went and I mounted the, I climbed the ladder, uh, a vertical ladder. And I was wearing um a black swimsuit or a navy or something that I'd had on from swimming earlier in the day. And a skirt. And uh, as I went up the ladder in front of him, he said, it's your business if you choose to wear black knickers. The cheek of him. The cheek of him but I suppose he did say if it's my business so I suppose that's a not a bad start anyway up he went he tried to get me to have a slug of wine I can't remember whether I took a slug or not I hope to god I didn't because it would have been rank um but uh I really can't remember if I did or didn't I don't think no I don't think my drinking days had started at that stage um I know it's bad isn't it but anyway sober October so you know not drinking now so that's good Yesterday was my first day of not drinking and uh, I really wanted to actually, but uh, I was under peer pressure from my husband in the actual house and my son hundreds of miles away in Limerick, who are both doing Sober October and pressurised me not to have any alcohol. So I didn't. Felt great this morning. No headache, nothing. Anyway, not that I have headache after a night's meal, but you know, you don't feel 100% if you've had a couple of glasses of wine, which I surely would have if I hadn't been peer pressured into doing Sober October. But back to the day in question, out I came, wandered back up to the house, thought I was great, had my brother with me, thought I was great handing over a lovely anglerfish to my parents. But my radar was all wrong. They were most displeased, most displeased. And they made me go and find the man and go and give it back. Or maybe they did. I can't remember. I think they made me do it. Go and find the man and give it back. I have no memory of that. So I've clearly blocked it. I was so embarrassed. I can't have the fish here have it back um so that was the end of that but why was it telling you that oh yeah that was an angler fish and my dad used to have a trawler um that he moored in claggan in claggan harbour and um i used to love going out with him out into the actual sea the actual sea was so cool i'd sit right up at the prow and i'd look out into the over the pointy bit of the front uh the prow I think and I'd look down at all the jellyfish and the water churning past black and frothy and it'd be terrifying terrifying I don't remember any turquoise beautiful sunny days I just remember really overcast scary ones and they were scary my god thank I'm really grateful my dad took me out he took uh, my brother Garrett out as well but not apart from him just me I uh, don't remember the others coming out as well. I wonder why I was always out. I loved it. I was fascinated with the the tangle nets. Tangle nets are super cruel, but uh back in the day, this would have been i suppose early eighties, probably. but we used to have tangle nets um on that boat, and the men would winch it up, and everybody was wearing oil skins and stuff and they'd slap the contents onto the desk, the deck of the trawler, and there'd be everything in it and I would watch everything land on the deck. Everything, the crabs, the, there was never any lobsters, the crabs, the fish, every type of fish, the poor drowned birds occasionally, the poor drowned shark once. Um, Yeah, there was just, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. It was fascinating. I loved it. Now, my younger brother was occasionally invited out to sea, to join the men and go out for a few days to sea, to do the catch. But I wasn't. I was never invited out it was because I was a girl I was told but I think maybe <laughs> maybe my folks knew better and they were like roshan can't go she's uh she's a liability which I was there's no doubt about it I was a liability and anyway it wasn't that attractive once you went into the hold it's really stank I mean it was gross it really stank stank a diesel and a stank of fish so I wasn't really too insistent on being brought out to sea which they wouldn't have let me anyway being a girl so that was that that was the trawler and that was my experience with catching fish off the west coast of Galway sorry I forgot to mention for those of you who don't know Clegan is right out on the very very western tip of uh Connemara in Galway and uh on the western coast of Ireland and the next stop after Cleggan is Inishpoffin and we used to go to Inishpoffin the odd time it was great I loved those those holidays in Clegan they were amazing they were amazing. We had a beautiful house that had been built by Richard Murphy, the poet. And the house was just stunning. It was the best of the 70s and 60s. It was built in the 60s. It was the best that the 60s could 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 offer. It was faced in pink granite or built in pink granite. I don't know. And everything was wood inside and it was real lodge. There was like a big open fire. God, I can smell the turf now in my mind's eye. And get this back in the 80s, we had a telephone, but you could only it was a great big black telephone. But you could only ring the post office and I think we were Cleggan two O. I think that's what we were. Cleggan two O. That was our phone number. Two digits. God. But it was cool. It was great. It was great. And all day every day was spent out in the beach. You'd walk up the little green path around the back of the, the house in Cleggan. And the green path would soon turn a bit sandy. I must do it one of these fine days. I must do it again. Actually it'll probably break my heart with sadness. It's probably lined with houses now. But you'd walk up this little this little uh rough green path and there was no one there no one there and the grass was short and green and stubby and studded with wildflowers of every type and um, the grassy path gave way to those typical small Connemara fields with great big boulders of granite in them and you'd be in your bare feet and you just run over these granite boulders bedrock they weren't boulders boulders imply that they're loose they were these were bed bedrock I should know I'm a geologist or used to be um and it was just having smell so sweet, The sweet smell of the grass and the and the wildflowers and the short, short grass. And it was never prickly. And then a couple of these fields later, just small little fields, a couple of them later running through them. You were on the beach and the beach was, again, desert, deserted, completely deserted, except for maybe the stray, odd stray cow. And the sand was beautiful, pure white, soft, s- smooth. And then you had the turquoise sea and that was it that was it. You had freedom, real freedom, real freedom. Now, if it, were, if it were me now with my kids, I would be the same. I'd be like, get out, get out. Because I did rear my kids that way. My kids did grow up being just hunted out the door and um, being left outside until I felt they looked a bit hungry or wet, then I'd let them in again. It's the best way to do it. It really is. But uh, anyway, that was Cleggan, And although um, I'm I'm kind of going to, you know, slightly modify that and say, depends on the kid because I was that kid who would find trouble, you know, so some kids are. Um, Yeah, yeah, I was always, I was always, look, that's just my personality. He's always looking for excitement. So there you go. That was Clegan and uh loved those days. Oh, and just one last thing. The house came with an annex. So it was like a little studio, an actual studio, probably was the studio because Richard Murphy was a poet. So he probably used the studio for writing his poetry. And you access the studio through an orchard. I mean, it was idyllic. And the whole property was surrounded by a really high wall. So you were basically in a walled garden. My God, it was absolutely gorgeous. Anyway, parents uh, let us to the Brothers of Charity, I believe, um, to house their, for peppercorn rent, as far as I remember, to house the um, people who needed housing. But that was my parents. They were a member of um, the Charismatic Renewal back in the 80s. And they very much believed in putting their money where their mouths were when it came to religion. So um, they were, they were, they're very good people, my parents. They're, I'm very proud, very proud and honoured to call them my parents. And I really am. They're wonderful people. And uh, they really did. They were very, very religious in the 1980s, but they did put their, as I say, their money where their mouths uh, were. And they, they, they lived their faith and they, um they, you know, they really were big on the old helping those who needed help. I could say an awful lot more about that, but I'm not going to do that here because this is the Sketch Therapist podcast. It's not the um, God Therapist podcast. No, nope, it's not. So anyway, um, that was that. Back to uh, Wednesday and in the fishmongers. So I've painted the eel. I've painted the beautiful anglerfish. Um, they were absolute stunners. And I painted the few mackerel that were around the anglerfish um i think you can see it up on my instagram actually yeah you can if you want to and then i lastly i painted the ray and by that time this is where the fact that i was so unprepared comes into play i was so unprepared and i was standing there with my sketchbook like basically hoisted in my hands and nothing to lean on nothing to lean on and my god it got heavy and the the paint box the metal paint box Uh, was attached by the metal the magnetic clips to the edge of the the book and that was weighing it down too and my arms were killing me and I'd been absolutely destroyed in the gym the day before by the bell Gary Gary I I I forgot to mention I'm um I'm 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 attending the gym now in the in the capacity of a customer um to personal trainers and it's great fun um I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But anyway, Gary was my PT on Tuesday and he he made me take lift higher weights than normal. You know, the ones where you're lying on your tummy and you lift up the elbows at the sides and you have to lift weights. Well, normally I do. I know, don't laugh. Seven and a half kilos. But Gary um, sneaked it up to nine kilos. So my arms are really tired. And here I was being faced with holding the sketchbook with the said wasted useless arms. And I was wrecked. And my back was killing me. And I was really, really fed up. I'd started sketching at nine in the morning and I finished at 12.30, like that's, that's, what am I saying, 12.30, yeah, 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 12.30, three and a half hours, that's what I did, Twelve, three and a half hours, it was a lot, it was a lot, but anyway, never mind that, the commission will soon be done, and it went really well, and the fishmongers are really, really nice, and one of them gave me some halibut for a really good price, uh, fresh wild halibut, which was yum, and, uh, yeah, it was great crack. It's great crack. So highly recommend Sketching in a Fishmonger's. They'll be delighted you're there. They'll be really happy to see you. And you might learn a thing or two about fish. Uh, what did I learn about fish? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, I know what I learned. The ray had some spines sticking up on its little head. You can see it in my drawing on Instagram. Um, and apparently the ray likes to bury itself in sand. And then as prey swim over the little hairs they might touch the little hairs and they trigger the hairs and they let the ray know that there's some food coming and snap it's gone in a second and it's the same with the anglerfish they have uh, they have those little dangly things in front of their mouths you know the little angler lines that's why they're called anglerfish and they have those little fishing lines and in the deep deep dark ocean which is where they hang out um if a fish bumps into <laughs> can you just imagine it now i bumped into it what was that what was that what was that in the dark oh my god oh my god and then that's the last thought they have in their mind because then they get eaten by the anglerfish so that was really cool and just the last thing about the mackerel I read somewhere that mackerel have got the speckledy pattern on top so that birds from flying above looking for mackerel to eat can't see them they're camouflaged against the sea all dark blue like the sea surface and they're white in their belly so the fish underneath or the predators underneath can't see them against the sky. So there you go. I thought that was really cool. I um, used to catch loads of mackerel in Cleggan with my dad. We used to be going along in our little rowing boat with a, okay, it had a motor on it, and we'd have a line at the back, and um, there'd be loads of hooks along the line, and you'd catch tons of mackerel. Ah, happy days, happy days. So there you go. That's, that's my uh, experience on Wednesday in the fishmongers, and I hope you liked it. On Friday, I had another gym session. Now, I know this is the sketch therapist podcast and it's not the get fit therapist podcast or the physical therapist podcast, but there is a little bit of relevance to this and because I want to tell you why I think uh, this whole thing of going to the gym and getting yourself into, I don't know, some kind of improved situation physically and mentally, of course, I think it's just such a good good idea. Okay, so I've been going for what, I don't know, maybe a month and a half, something like that, month, month and a half. And I have bought a number of sessions with a physical uh, trainer. Hang on, personal trainer. Sorry, you think I get the terminology right from the from the get go. Personal trainer, PT from here on in. And I've had different different lads week on week. And they've all been very different, very unique personalities. And they've all had um, they've all had their own their own style. And I really love being with them, because um well it's just really, really nice to be looked after by someone it's it's a lovely thing, especially for a woman, especially for a woman who has kids because we are so used to doing the looking after um and it's just really, really nice, and they're young and they're full of enthusiasm um they 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 look lovely, but then you know people. Fit, fit people always look lovely it's nothing to do with being young and uh, anyway I was telling the husband Marcel all about how much I'm enjoying it and I love hanging out with these uh young fabulous young men when I'm at the gym and you might think well, what are you doing telling your husband that well that's you know we're okay like that We're <laughs> well I so I thought but I did wonder I did wonder if I was going a bit far <clears throat> and uh sure enough he uh he said uh He said, so, so it's just, it's all about sex then. And I said, no, 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 it's not like that. I said, it's not like that at all. It's, it's just a real pleasure for a woman to be uh, in the hands, obviously, I don't mean in the hands, in the hands of young men who are there to look after her and to, um, you know, improve her health and so on. But I was struggling and it still sounded kind of bad, you know, because it was, uh Central to this was the fact that they're they're young and men, but it's not about sex. Obviously, it's not. Nothing, nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's far from it. Um, I'm not going to say it's just because you're, you know, a sweaty mess with your hair sticking out everywhere. It's nothing to do with that either. It's just not about that. So then I had a genius uh, analogy. I was able to say it to him. I said, look, Marcel, you know, the way like traditionally, Like fellas in companies have had female secretaries and they love having female secretaries because they're being looked after by them. They're having their wife's birthday present chosen for them again, traditionally. They're choosing their tie for them. They're making them nice cups of coffee exactly how they like it. They're just taking care of them. I said, that's a man woman thing. I said, you know, uh, obviously there are exceptions, but that is definitely a man woman thing. Um, and I said, and it's the same here. It's it's definitely a male female thing. And I said, it's it's nothing to do with sex, but it's to do with that's how the world goes around. It's it's interaction between men and women. And it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Super positive, super wonderful. It's win win for everybody. For them, it's their job. For me, I get loads out of it and it's a win win situation. But I still wondered, hmm, have I gone too far here? And he said, uh, he said, look, just bring me a cup of tea and we'll we'll, we'll forget all about it. <laughs> So I brought him a cup of tea and we moved on and we're very, very happy. But I I, I thought you'd like to know a little bit, a little bit more about that, because <clears throat> I do feel that as women and I mean, you know, come after me, whatever, come at me, do what you want, do say what you want. But as women, we are always looking after someone. That's that's the way it is. I mean, obviously, again, there are exceptions, but in my life as a mum and as a wife, I have always got someone's state of hunger in my mind or someone's state of laundry in my mind or someone's state of being picked up in my mind. That's just the way it is for me. I'm always thinking about other people's needs. Now, I kind of had to learn that. I wasn't born that way. When my babies were very small, I would be stuffing my face and then I have to remind myself, OK, well, if I'm hungry, maybe my kids are hungry, maybe my babies, my actual babies, maybe my young, very young toddler children are hungry, too. Like I, I had to kind of train myself into thinking about other people and stopping so flipping selfish, which is the way I was born. I, I, I mean, that's just my personality. I'm very selfish. But I did. Uh, I, th- I would like to think that being a mum for the last 22 years has knocked some of that off me a little bit. I think it has to really, because if, if, if it didn't, you'd be a really crap mum. You really would. I mean, they'd be hungry and, uh, you know, in need of stuff all the time if you if you if you did not stop being so selfish. So that is why two things. Number one, that is one of the reasons why um, I love teaching my group of of students who are 90, I'm going to say 97 percent female. Um, and the reason I do feel so strongly about that is I feel that these women have they spend all their lives caring for someone else again, come at me, shoot me, whatever. But they do um, they uh, and 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 I know that men do that as well. Obviously, they, you know, go, ho- go out and bring home the bacon. And I also know that I'm talking in very traditional roles here. But again, I don't care. That's just um, that's what I'm saying. I don't care. I'm not going to do the whole PC thing here. I'm just not sorry. Um, uh, and I feel like what I want to do is say to these 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 women, by and large, they're women, I want to say, look, do you know what? this is for you. This is not expensive. It's for you and you alone. It's your time. It's 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 time that you're spending on you. Um, And it's it's 90 minutes. And it's great. I'm talking about my classes now. And I suppose my workshops as well, which are a bit more involved, where they actually get on a plane and actually come over and join in a workshop or a train or a bus or a car or whatever. But they actually physically come and join me for a few days at a time. But I really like the idea that I'm saying to a woman, it's my turn to look after you now. That's what I do. That's what I do as a teacher. I look after them, and it's not just uh, something I do as part of my job. It's it's a real pleasure for me, and I'm going to even raise that a little bit and say it's a privilege for me because I feel like to look after someone is a privilege. It's a special thing. It's a special thing to be allowed to look after someone, and especially in a way that's so easy for me. It it requires very little effort on my part. People say my students say, "Oh my God, you give so much," but it really. I it's it, it's it's easy for me. It's easy for me. I'm really I'm I'm not putting myself out in a huge way. So uh, don't be going thinking I'm a saint or a martyr. I'm not. I'm not. Not at all. Not at all. As I mentioned the whole selfish thing earlier, that's that is me. But I love the fact that I can give a little bit to the people who come to my class in the same way as um as these guys give to the people who come to them um to be to be made fitter. Do you know what? I don't think I've seen any fellas on the receiving end of a, a PT. I must look out for that actually. Um being looked after by a by a personal trainer. But um anyway, so I, I if you're in any way wondering if you're considering getting yourself a personal trainer, if you're considering going to the gym, I would say, listen, it's the best money you'll spend. It really is. Because it's okay, it's horrible. Like many times I've felt like throwing up because You know, well, actually twice. And the second time I just gave up, I said, no, can't do this. So that was a bit pathetic. It was a bit pathetic. I felt I felt bad, though. I I, I thought I was going to throw up. And the trainer said, so throw up. He says, go on ahead, throw up. I was like, oh, oh, okay," But really, they do push you to your limits and um, they make you put they make you lift weights until you can't do any more, which is brilliant. That's what you should be doing. Um, But it's just really nice to spend time and I mean, the money is relevant. If you can afford it, it's, you know, it's great. But the, the, to take that time to make that effort, to throw your stuff in a bag, um, you know, you're, go and find a nice towel, go and get your kids sorted out. It takes a little bit of effort driving there, spending the time. But it's well, well worth it. Um, and I'll tell you who the guys are They're hustle gym in Duishka. Um, stroke, Bally brit um, and they're they're just they're they're terrific guys. They're they're really really lovely. I said to the the guy I was with the other day on Friday. He's the manager of the place, and I said um, I said you know what your secret weapon is. I said your guys are so nice. They're so nice, and they are. They're just lovely. They're really really lovely guys. So um, wherever you are, if you're considering it, I know you might say oh, gym's a waste of time. My husband Marcel said to me, he said I think it, the gym is sort of a symptom of a malaise, and I was like. <laughs> I know I understand none of us are doing any physical labor but uh sure who wants to do that that's even worse you have to do it yourself with nobody cheering you on and counting you down imagine people in the field you have only five more rows of potatoes to go come on you can do it come on come on come on you're doing great good job <laughs> no <laughs> don't want to do that anybody who just looks at my garden will know that I quite clearly am not interested in in manual labor for uh for that kind of thing, which is a pity because my garden could be very nice if I put the effort in. So there you go. That's what happened in the gym on Friday. And that's the whole reason why I'm really enjoying going to the gym. Now, I'm certainly not looking any different. Um, I feel no, I feel good. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I feel good. I don't feel anything particularly different Um, twice a week for about a month and a half. It's not very much really. But uh, but I love it and it's good for me and I recommend it. So, yeah. Saturday dawned bright and sunny. It was absolutely gorgeous out. And I woke up with loads of plans. I was going to um I was going to do some drawings for Inktober, which was starting on the first of October. Um I was going to do a nice drawing for International Coffee Day, because I, you know, big into coffee, big coffee drinker, and I thought it'd be really cool to do some nice sort of fun whimsical drawings however I suppose as they say if you want to make God laugh make plans um and things didn't turn out that way and I did have plenty of time in the morning but I it wasn't that I was just messing about it was that I had a lot of things to do I had to go down and pick up some oysters and some mussels and some clams which are going to be worked into my painting that I was mentioning earlier the commission that I have to do um Luckily for me, there's a there's an outfit around the corner for me here in Kilcolgan, who their business is actually oysters, mussels and clams. And they harvest them from just a mile or two way down the coast. So um, so they I'm very, very lucky to have um, within walking distance, fresh, lovely clams, mussels and oysters on my doorstep. And off I went. I, I I couldn't find a bag and sort of struggled home with the plastic bag. <laughs> couldn't find a bag. How dumb is that? But I went and got them and I walked home along my beautiful, beautiful uh, road. And I didn't have Ruben with me. And I'll explain why. Ruben's my little terrier. And I, I'll explain why he wasn't invited on this beautiful walk, um, country walk on a sunny day through the very, very quiet and traffic free roads. And what had happened was Ruben sometimes thinks that our house is a toilet. So it's a bit unfortunate yep looking at him now he sometimes thinks that you know what uh even though I've been brought out last thing at night and I have been invited to use the bathroom outside I don't think I will I think I will just go here in the house on the floor wherever I feel like it and I'm the one who cleans up because that was the deal when the dog was purchased all those years ago and uh that is what I have to do. It is my role. It is my role. And it's, I don't resent it hugely. Well, I do, but there's, I don't have much choice in the matter. So that's what I do. I clean up after the dog and everybody gets mad. Anyway, on Saturday morning early, up he trotted up the stairs. And at the moment, he thinks he can sleep on the sofa, which he can't. And I'm trying to persuade him to sleep in his bed. But, you know, the dog is spoiled and we are reaping the rewards of that spoiling now. And by spoiling, by spoiled, I don't mean that he gets all the whims and stuff that he wants. It's more a case of we don't let him know where his position is in the pack. So, for example, um, he thinks it's OK to start making growling noises and staring at us when we haven't finished our dinner yet. He wants his food. And that's 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 really bad. That shows that the dog isn't being respectful of his position in the family. He should be waiting there silently until he's he's told he can have his food Um, but he 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 has been shown by our actions and behaviours that he is equal with us Um, he stares at us when we're having crisps or something like that totally our fault because we've given him crisps when he stares at us and uh, you know God made him cute what can we say so he's been spoiled in that way. He what else has been spoiled? He's been spoiled in that he's been let up on the beds, let up on the furniture in every way possible. I've 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 given him a very clear message that he is on a par with the rest of the humans, and therefore even though he's got a lovely personality, and he does not, um, he's he's lovely. He doesn't cause any trouble in any way, but he does think that he's right up there at the top with us, and therefore he thinks, do you know what? If I feel like peeing in the house or pooping in the house, I think I will. I think I will. Now, the pooping, the latter doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. It does happen. And it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating because, my God, dog gets enough opportunities to go to the loo outside. And it's, as I say, my fault. And I used to pride myself in tra- de- toilet training a dog super fast. I, I do it within a couple of days because of um good, committed and dedicated um crate training. Um, and it's great. Dog gets the message very, very quickly. But this dog... You know, also he's because he's not neutered. He uh, he lost the run of himself when the little bitch opposite was on heat and she started coming up to our house the whole time looking for a lover. And he didn't really know what to do with that situation because he's a virgin. And um, so not knowing what to do, he maybe thought she was uh, an intruder of some sort or threatening his territory. And he just cocked his leg and peed. In the house at the time. Now he stopped doing that now. But it took a long time to stop him doing that. Pain in the neck. I actually went to the, to the point of buying him some nappies. Oh my goodness. You never saw such a dejected dog wearing his nappies. I think they're called male belly wraps. Um, they're not called dog nappies. Male dog belly wraps. So, um, so that was a bad situation. Anyway. On Saturday morning. I dog came up the stairs to say hello. And I noticed his tummy was wet. And the tummy being wet only means one thing. It means that he's after doing a whittle. So I went downstairs and the dog was looking sheepish. He was kind of in his bed upstairs, um, looking kind of guilty. He has his own bed upstairs. And uh, there it was, massively on the floor at the bottom of the stairs. Now, they're all hard surfaces, so it's not a complete disaster. But still, you you can't, it, it, we can't be allowing that. And I came upstairs and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said to Marcel, my husband, I said, yeah, you're right. He has. He's done a whittle. And Marcel picked him up crossly off the bed and he put him down. Now, Ruben already knew he was in the bad books and you know the way little dogs can do a little twist if they don't want to be picked up. So he did a little twist mid-air. I think this that's what happened because you'll hear what happened in a minute. And uh, Marcel put him on the ground and there was a yelp. So I think what had happened, now Marcel didn't throw him or anything like that, he didn't put him down heavily or roughly. But I think what happened was, a bit like me when I ripped my hamstring, Um, I, I, I twisted my body at the last second mid flying high kick in taekwondo and that's when i heard the snap and i'd been doing loads of flying high kicks up until then with no problem um uh, but it was when i was i lost my sort of my you know the way you kind of know what your body's supposed to be doing and i lost it at the last second last split second and i heard a snap and that was my hamstring going but i with reuben i don't know maybe he's maybe he's ripped his hamstring gosh That'd be bad, on it? But uh, I think, anyway, he yelled And I said, what did you do, Marcel? He said, I didn't do anything. Um, I said, did you stand on him? No, because the dog's very small. He said, no, I didn't stand on him. So uh, anyway, didn't think much of it. And then I went out to the studio Um, and Ruben started barking, running after a bird. And suddenly he started yelping in pain. And I thought, what happened there? Did a bird look sideways at him? Did a rat give him the evils? You know, he's terrified of rodents. What on earth happened? Didn't think anything of it. Just thought, oh, that's funny. So um, I rang the vet and uh, he did it again inside the house. He jumped off the sofa or something and yelped again. So I rang the vet. I said, listen, dog has got some kind of a problem. Can you advise? And she said, look, did he recently jump off a bed? Did he jump off some high furniture? Did anything like that happen? And I said, no, because I'd forgotten about that morning. I would forgot about the morning when, you know, he'd been put down on the floor. Not roughly or badly or anything. And I I didn't mention that. But she said, look, a dog can get a sprain just as just as easy as a human or not as easily, but they can hurt themselves just just like we can. She said, just keep them quiet. Don't let him go out for a walk because I was planning to go and get my oysters at that stage. Don't bring him with you on your walk, she said. Just keep them nice and still and quiet. So I said, OK, cool. And she said, ring me on Monday if he hasn't made an improvement. I said, Grant, thanks a million. That's what I'll do. Thank you very much. They're great vets, actually. Orin vets and Oren Moore. They're really, really good. Highly recommend them. And that was Fiona. She was brilliant. Thanks, Fiona. So um, anyway, a couple of more Yelps thought okay this isn't great so I brought him out to the back garden when I was going to my studio this time it was about it was just after midday I'd been to get the oysters I'd come back and my class was due to start at two and it, so it was about quarter past midday and uh, I wanted to do a few things in the studio before I settled into class get a few things ready and um, I I thought I'll just get Ruben to walk beside me I didn't think to put him on a lead or anything like that but he stayed beside me for a second and then he ran into the the lawn and being a little Harry Jack Russell, he's very fast on his feet, and in he w- he ran into the lawn. We have a big lawn, just to put it in context, we have an acre here, um and most of that is 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 lawn in the back and He ran out and started yelping like mad, and I called him, and I ran up to get him and I could hear him yelping, but he had disappeared, and I looked for him, I called him, called him, called him nothing um it was really strange. Now our our garden is is as I say it's quite big and it's completely surrounded by a hedge and a wall on one side a bramble hedge, and uh, a thick cops of trees completely lining the the the, the site on the uh, on the other side and then the back is also got is also lined with trees so you can't see the fields around our house you can if you peek over the wall at one point on the hedge side but mo- for the most part it's just thick 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 trees and you can just about see over the over the fence in the winter but not really you know when they've lost all the tree their leaves so that'll give you an idea it's very very thick and dense um we planted the trees Marcel planted the trees maybe 22 years ago 20 years ago something like that and they've grown up quite a lot in that time um anyway I started looking for the dog couldn't find him anywhere and I called Livy and her boyfriend um Arthur out to help me find the dog and out they came and to cut a long story short we searched for the dog for an hour and a half couldn't find him i went deep into the, into the woods around the garden um got completely scratched up by brambles i hate brambles they just they just get everywhere um they have formed a kind of a spider web of brambly thorns between all the trees so um it's terrible and i was i suppose i had adrenaline because i was really fighting my way through the trees i didn't care about springing bra- branches you know just was fighting my way through. Now, today, my fingertips are an absolute mine of thorns. My fingertips, they're full of horrible black thorns and I can't get them out. So my fingertips are in absolute agony at the moment. Well, I wouldn't say agony, but they're sore. They're very sore. And I was wearing my uh, my teaching clothes, which is, consists of um, a good strong pair of canvas pants covered in pockets and uh, a sweatshirt. So I didn't get snagged anywhere. in 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 my clothes but I was getting covered in thorns and scratches and couldn't couldn't find Reuben and I wondered had he curled up under the trees somewhere and was saying nothing so I was really trying to scout every square inch as you can imagine there's a kind of a small little gap between the trees which is now full of brambles but you can just about make your way from one end to the other if you don't mind getting scraped in the face it's a bit Sleeping Beauty-ish now it's a bit bad but uh Anyway, couldn't find him on the on the on, on the in the garden. And then we went onto the road, drove up and down the road for miles, well, I don't know about miles, but a couple of miles, because I wondered had he been so spooked by the yelps of pain that he had, had he run, had he just run, you know, like Egypt dogs do during a thunderstorm when they just get terrified. So I wondered if that that was it. Went into the field opposite, which they're looking for planning permission at the moment, so it was full of percolation Holes to do percolation tests, holes in the ground um, with water at the bottom of them. So I checked them, maybe got stuck in one of them and couldn't get out. Like it's a horrible feeling thinking your dog might be trapped somewhere. We I actually got Marcel to take a rake and go look and rake through the pond. We've got a couple of ponds that are very deep and, uh, you know, could easily like drown a little dog. I mean, I couldn't envisage a scenario where he'd just fallen in and drowned because he's a little dog and he hates swimming, but he can swim. But still I needed to know if there was a little body in the pond. Um but no, he wasn't there. So we went into the fields on either side of our garden, walked to the very end, to roll all the way to the river on either side. Um was, I was soaked by the time he came back. Calling him, calling him, calling him, calling him calling, calling him. And you know what? At about quarter to two, I was about to send an email, I actually had it half written, to tell my people who are due to come into class any minute that class was cancelled because I, I wouldn't be able to teach knowing that Reuben hadn't been found. Um, and I was just about to, I hadn't quite composed the email, I was getting there and Marcel found him. And he was in a spot under the trees at the back of the garden, yes curled up, saying nothing, completely keeping still and quiet and he was just cowering under a tree for like nearly two hours so, look, I don't know how little dogs' minds work, but I've I, i I've heard that they uh, they can get, you know, they, they, they'll go and hide if they're in pain or if they feel like they're injured. I don't know, something to survive it or something. I don't know. But we were wondering, would he have come back like when he got cold and wet and tired later on? I don't know. I don't know if he would have. So now he's on complete curfew, complete um, house arrest. He doesn't have one of those bracelets on, but he does have a, a collar, which he never wears. He's, we never keep him in a collar, but he does have one now. And uh, he is only allowed out for peas um, when he's on the end of the lead. And then I let him out for a, a pea on the lead last thing at night. And he passed loads of blood, fresh blood. So... um. I rang the vet again, emergency vet this time. And, I'm, and the reason I'm telling you this, by the way, I, I, I appreciate that you might be eating or something. It's not very pleasant. But I think it's important because um, if you have a little dog and this happens, the vet told me that it could be colitis. So when it's fresh and bright, it means it's quite close to the end. So it gets dark and sort of a bit um an un- unoxygenated or deoxygenated deox- de- as it travels along the um the intestine, so being bright red means that it was close to the end and uh she said the vet said she was very good actually she said that um it could just be colitis that could pass in forty eight hours or it could be uh It could be something more serious. So I was to watch him and so on. So I looked after him. I couldn't do a thing for dinner because I had to keep him beside me. He wouldn't let me out of his sight at all from morning onwards. He just followed me like a shadow all day long because he was really feeling vulnerable and he wouldn't let anyone else look look after him, just me. So I had to sit beside him and put him on the forbidden sofa. Yeah, Reuben, you went to extreme lengths, but you got what you wanted. And uh, I had to look after him beside me. So the poor little creature... Um, he's much better today, there was no yelping during the night, so I don't know what happened, but he seems to be much better, but there you go, just to give you a heads up, if your dog is yelping in pain, maybe don't let him off the lead, if you're inclined to do so, because look what happened to us, dog disappeared, I really thought there for a while, I was never going to see him again, um, and I was very sad about that, so all's well that ends well, except that I'm covered in thorns, but uh, yeah, Reuben is still with us, so um. So, so there you go. That was the end of that, and I'll tell you about the glasses in a minute. So don't go away. Well, I'm a great believer in appreciating each season, if you can, um, instead of looking at autumn and looking around you and saying, Oh, the winter's coming, the days are getting worse, and it's just no. Nah, 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 nah. It's 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 a really good idea to actually get out there and appreciate and enjoy it. And that's easier said than done because like anyone else, I am a little on the lazy side and I am a little bit less inclined to get out there if it's a little bit cold, a little bit fresh, a little bit wet. But for class, every week on a Saturday, I have been bringing, um the Bounty of Autumn to class that's what i've been doing um we did what did we do we did pine cones lovely fresh pine cones the ones that tip water on top of me when i walk underneath them on my path between the studio and the house. And we have done rose hips and some roses that were still in flower, which is very nice. And we did apples from my orchard. Um, And I was wondering what to do for yesterday's class. And on Thursday, I was out in the garden and I was, um, I was just walking around and I saw what I thought looked like a dead leaf. But when I approached a little bit closer, I saw that it was a very gorgeous looking mushroom and I picked it. I had no idea what it was. I picked it and I was careful to say to myself now make sure and wash your hands afterwards because mushrooms can be pretty toxic and they can really do bad things to your liver and to all kinds of things bad stuff bad 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 stuff so I'm very careful with mushrooms but when I picked it and looked underneath it was the most weirdly bright shade of yellow almost like um how would you describe it sort of like a a, a lemon a lemon sorbet or a lemon mousse that's the color it's kind of like lemon mousse and it was sort of a similar texture as well it was kind of spongy which I wasn't really familiar with. I didn't really know what that meant. But I picked them anyway and I figured the internet would tell me what they were. And uh, within within a short amount of time, I was able to identify them or roughly identify them. Not not with enough confidence to eat them, but uh, with enough confidence to say, OK, I, I have a fair idea what they were, um, what they, what they are. And I decided that they were bay bullets. That's what I decided they were, bay bullettes. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing bullets right, but anyway. That's what I figured they were. And they're so pretty. They've got that lovely warm bay colour is what they call it. That's why they're called bay ballets. The bay colour on the top half with a little bit of a sheen. Um, and, and then on the underneath is this crazy intense yellow. And they don't have gills. They have this spongy stuff, which doesn't look very appetising. And I wasn't sure whether I could eat them or not. That was my first thought. Can these be eaten or will I come a cropper? And I've, I read somewhere once that 20 people in France die every year from eating mushrooms that they've got wrong, that they've misidentified um, but then I think, OK, 20 people is very sad um, and there's probably many, many, many hundreds who get very sick from eating the wrong types of mushrooms. But what about the hundreds of thousands of French people who are out foraging every year? Well, I don't know if it's hundreds of thousands, but I'd, I'd say it's thousands anyway, who are foraging in the autumn. And isn't there something in France that all pharmacists have to be able to identify um Whatever mushroom you bring into them. Now it's not that hard to identify a mushroom. Um, they're always very distinctive. I did mycology in uh in university. I did botany to second year level, and I really loved botany. I really loved it, and uh, I remember one time I was always a bit st- I don't know, stroppy is the wrong word. I wasn't stroppy, but I was a bit brazen when I was in uni. Um, cocky cocky there's a, there's another word cocky um, and probably a little bit ill-mannered as well and I remember in um, class with uh, was it Tom O'Connor no it wasn't Tom O'Connor I can't remember his name um. Anyway, it, I think O'Connor was a surname, but I was up the very, very front row. Um, because I always like to sit in the front row of anything if I can, and I was sitting there with, would you believe, sewing a hat under the desk, and um, I, I was going through a phase of making these lovely warm hats with a peak and with like earmuffs, and I'd managed to get a load of scraps of fur off a furriers in uh, Dublin on Grafton Street he gave me a whole bag of scraps which I felt really guilty about but anyway he gave me a big bag of scraps and I I, I, I sewed them onto the inside of the ear flaps and sewing is a funny thing you just can't stop sewing until you're finished that's for me anyway I can't put it down until I'm finished Um, I suppose like lots of projects anyway I was in the front uh, row of the uh, of the botany lab and I was sitting sewing my bot- my hat under the desk and uh, the professor said, uh, excuse me, uh, do you uh, bring your, uh, what are you doing there? And I said, um, I- I- I'm sewing. And he said, uh, so uh, can I just ask you, do you bring your botany to your sewing class? And I said, uh, uh, no, no, I don't. He said, well, well, don't bring your sewing to my botany class. I said, oh, OK, sorry. I was mortified. So embarrassing. You'd think I'd have had the grace or the the cop on to sit in the back row if I wanted to. sew but no, I'm sitting in the front row. Um, same same professor actually was smoking in class one time. I really was, but a bit, a bit uh, cocky, and I said, "Excuse me, would you uh, put that out, please?" And he said, "I will," and he put it out. And uh one of the one of the other teachers actually it was the mycology lecture, bringing us back to mycology. She was really cool, and uh, M- uh, Professor Curran was her name. And one time we fell into step going into college and she said, Is it true that you told uh, Professor O'Connor to put a cigarette out in class? I said, Yeah, yeah, I did. And she said she just started laughing. She said, Fair play to you. But I just used to have this thing. I used to see red when um when, when 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 people would smoke in class. I used to go mad. And none of the other people who were very young and just out of school, they'd never have the guts to tell someone, would you put that out? But I always did because I just used to go mad. One time I was in another class and um the lecturer was called Pete Smith. Yeah, that's right, Pete. And uh, Pete was uh, smoking away. And I said, uh, would you mind putting that out? And he said, yes, I would mind. <laughs> and uh, one of the people at the table when I was telling the story the other night said, uh, they said, uh, "What what area botany was was he teaching?" And quick as a flash, my son Paddy said, "Tobacco." <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I I am I am not unknown to tell people to stop smoking. And do you know what the worst thing was? I was a smoker at the time, but there was something about people smoking in a place where I personally didn't want to be smelling smoke, breathing it in. And I'd just say, "Put that out," and they'd go, "Yeah, okay," or they'd say, "No, I won't." But, uh, that was me, that was me, so, back to painting the bayettes, they were really gorgeous, and I picked a load of them, and they were really beautiful, they were covered in bits of um bits of dead leaves and the leaves are really pretty because they they've lost most of their structure the leaves have sort of beginning to disintegrate and the the tops of the mushrooms are a bit slimy and they're a bit sticky so the, the 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 leaves are stuck fast and as are the blades of grass and the bits of soil and all that stuff they're everything's stuck on them and you can peel them off if you want you can pull them off but you'll You'll rip off the skin while you're at it as well, so just leave them alone. And that's what I did. I brought them into the studio, plonked them on a piece of white paper, and I got to it. And I use the technique that I've been using so often in class, where I, uh, where I use a watercolor brush first and just, just, just rough out the shape of the of the mushrooms and it's a really, really good way to do it. It's a really good way to do it because um, it means that, okay, there's not a lot of line work involved in painting a mushroom, so you can't really get stuck into the line work and expect things to go smoothly. But with the watercolor brush, you can make your shapes and um, you can make a mistake. You can get the size, the proportions wrong and you can just wash it away. I've spoken about that before many times in the pod. You can just wash it away and then um, get back to it. So it's almost like using a pencil and a rubber. And getting your lines over and over again, and having plenty of opportunities to get them right, but it works really well. So that's what I did. I roughed out their shapes in watercolor, and then I uh, fixed them, adjusted them, included a beautiful little puff ball, fresh and young and creamy white, um, into the into the the composition. Um, the whole thing looked really really well. I thought and. Uh, and I got the bright, bright, bright yellow colours of the undersides of the mushrooms and the beautiful warm brown colour made by using burnt sienna and aquarius orange. So burnt sienna, burnt sienna monte and miata mixed with aquarius orange to get a really rich bay colour for the tops of the mushrooms. And of course, I left slightly less painted areas for the bits where the sheen was on them. Um, and then the undersides I painted with that rich, rich yellow colour. Now, a lot of the mushrooms have been attacked by insects. So I guess we're not the only ones who think they look tasty. And I did discover in the end that they were indeed tasty. Uh, Well, they weren't tasty, but they were edible. So I was very anxious. I didn't want to eat them without knowing for sure, for sure, whether they were going to kill me or not. So I identified them from the internet, babelettes. And then to be sure, I wanted to ask my friends and acquaintances who knew um, what mushrooms were like. Um, you know, what was what. And in the end, it was Ruben's wonderful breeder, Annie, Annie Taylor, who breeds the best dogs. She just is so good at her job. Um, She breeds Border Terriers and she does Jack Russells and she makes the most fantastic dogs. She wins loads of stuff as well. She puts them in competition and she wins loads of stuff. She really knows what she's doing. And her dogs are not just fabulous personalities, but they're super healthy as well. Except when they don't want to be picked up and put down properly. In the case of my little dog, see accident Saturday morning. Um, so there you go. So Annie was the one in the end who identified them with confidence. And sure enough, Marcel and I went out on Friday night, picked a load of beautiful looking mushrooms, sliced them up, fried them off, bit of butter, bit of cream, bit of salt and pepper. Didn't put any garlic in because I wanted to see what the mushrooms themselves tasted like. And they were very disappointing. We put them on top of our lovely steaks. But the mushrooms themselves were very disappointing. Um, Marcel... Said so they were lovely, but they weren't. They were very floppy. They had no body, no structure. And uh, I won't be having them again. I didn't even finish mine. So after all that effort, I do know that they won't hurt you in any way. But they are not so exciting. Nothing to write home about. I mean, people say they're great, but I didn't think they were great. But anyway, so that was it. And then once I had put the watercolour down, I went over the shapes um, with a brown ink in my Fude pen. And I, I picked out lots of texture with the skinny side of the pen and I picked out the nice striated um, kind of skin that covers the, 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 the stems. Picked that out with a little bit of incline and the striae or the striae on those little skins on the outside. They picked them all out looking lovely. And I loved biology in university because mushrooms are super distinct from each other. You, you, once you know what a given mushroom looks like, you can't mistake it for another mushroom really, I mean, there's, there's, there's a number of ways to identify a mushroom. One of them is the spore pattern, for instance. Oh, did you know about that one? Where you break off the cap and then you leave it to sit on a piece of um, white paper or black paper, depending on the colour of the spores. And you just let the spores fall out and you'll have a very pretty pattern when they've sat there and, and, and fallen out. And you can, you can identify them by the spore pattern as much as by anything else. So there's loads and loads of ways to identify a mushroom. They are the most fascinating, fascinating um, uh, creatures of nature. I'm not sure whether they're animal or vegetable. They're vegetable, of course, but they're, they're just fascinating. They have so many manifestations and uh, permutations and morphologies and so on. They're just wonderful things. So we brought those into class on Saturday. That's what we did. The one that I nearly cancelled and didn't. And I'm so glad I didn't cancel it because I don't think I would have offered it for a subsequent class. I would have done something else. And I can tell you that the work that the students put into the, the private face group that we have that goes with our classes they were amazing they were so 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 well done they were better than mine actually a good few of them were I mean on the whole they were they, I mean you can't say better or worse than them. they're They're different they are themselves and uh each of the students did something different with them which is one of the things I love about my my students but they looked amazing I was super proud of my students they looked amazing I, I might see if I can ask some of them if I can keep their uh if I can screenshot their 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 sketches and share them onto my my Instagram page because they were just so lovely so I hope that some of the guys go out and uh go and paint paint gather their own mushrooms and paint them and one of them said that she has an app on her phone I was actually going to download to see if there was an app I could download to identify the the mushrooms but I just didn't get around to it but she does that she goes and identifies them um whenever she goes out I think it's more fun to ask your pals and uh See if you can identify them according to the books. It's a bit more involved anyway. So that was the ballets. So that was class, which wasn't cancelled, was held. And then in the afternoon, later on, I did the kids class and I did uh, barnells. So I'm doing the Irish wildlife for children at the moment in, on a Saturday afternoon. Um, we're two down, six to go. But if you you can probably still join if you want. If you want to join the last six classes, there's no problem with that. I can just send you the recordings. I think the... I think the all eight is still available to purchase. I must check. I don't know. But uh, and if it's not there, just send me an email sketchwithrosie at gmail dot com and we can sort it out some one way or another. But we did barn owls yesterday and uh, I had uh, John, John, my friend John, who runs the Barn Owl Project Ireland. He had um, he had prepared, let's say, prepared some owls, some owl skulls, and I'll tell you what what I mean by that. So if a barn owl is found dead on the road or anywhere sometimes people will ring it in to John and they'll say look we've found this owl it's dead because John likes to know where the owls are at and uh where there's where they're roosting and where they're living and so on so he'll come along and he'll collect it and every so often it'll be sent for testing to find out what's what how it's died but on the whole he just likes to know um and just to keep a record of where it's been found. And he decided, he it's a particularly beautiful specimen there a couple of weeks ago. And he decided to um, to retrieve its skull and its skeleton for educational purposes. So he decided it would be good to bring the skulls and the skeleton into schools, into classes and show the kids. And of course, the skulls are absolutely beautiful beautiful but how is he going to get to the skull without you know a lot of effort and the best way to do it is to boil off the creature so he dismembered it pulled it to pieces and then um, boiled it to get the flesh off um, and rather John than me I have to say but John's you know very tough that way he's very used to these things and I'm sure it wasn't very nice but he did it anyway because he's unstoppable when it comes to you know getting the most out of out of things like that and uh after he boiled off all the flesh um then you you, you know yourself how clean a, a carcass of chicken comes when you boil it a few times or extensively and then after that he bleached it to make it as clean as possible and as white as possible and he sent me some photos of the the skull I asked them to send me some because I thought it'd be great to bring them into class. And sure enough, the kids did a fabulous job. I mean, we're not talking about in-person classes where I can go from child to child and help them individually. These kids are amazing. They're just sitting there at the other end of an online class and they did their drawings of skulls. I thought they did a fantastic job. They were really, really good. So I devised a way how to make the skulls... um, drawable by a, by an eight-year-old eight basically and they really really did well I mean we take it in stages you know broad shapes followed by intricate shapes they did a really good job and then I used um I got them to use their colours um they'd been told to get paints grey amongst other colours and the ones who had were able to use it to great effect um and the rest of them who haven't got it yet they're well their mummies and daddies have been asked to Go ahead and get them the paint set, the Van Gogh paint set that has the paints grey in them. So I was absolutely delighted with the kids, really, really delighted. And then we did loads of drawings of Barnell's and uh, I was able to, from the little bits and pieces I picked up from John in the time that I've been hanging out with John, um, I was able to to talk about uh just various things about barn owls i mean part of it is from the barn owl trust website in the, in the in in britain and part of it actually most of it most of my knowledge has come from there to be honest and john himself um but i was able to talk to the kids about what age they get their fluff and what age they get their better fluff so that they can keep warm by themselves and uh what age they start to look like you know grown-up owls and what they eat and just loads of really cool things like that so it was great to chat to the kids and the kids loved it and when I looked at the drawings at the end of the class they did such good drawings the last drawing they did was um a juvenile owl real fluffy and they loved doing that with the big talons and the toes with the big big long scary scary nails for catching rats and pulling them to pieces and uh then they did a they did an adult owl as well with a rat in its beak and their drawings of rats were only gorgeous. So I was delighted to have that class and I was delighted John was able to send me some photos of his beautiful um owl skulls that he's barn owl skulls and he's also very kindly offered to get me one. So yeah I'm very excited about that. um Delighted John's very good that way and uh Hopefully I'm going to be able to do some drawings from life. Well, from death, but you know what I mean, still lifes of the um of the Barnhouse skulls. Can't wait. So we'll do that in class. Um, just one quick thing about the uh the ident- identifying the mushrooms. Um my daughter Livy's boyfriend is Latvian. Arthur's his name. And uh his dad is uh his dad Roman says he knows all about identifying mushrooms. So uh I was delighted. I said Arthur, throw him a text there and uh, we'll, we'll get the definitive word on whether they're safe to eat or not. I knew Marcel would get all macho about it. Like, why do we have to ask some of some the... Like, fellas hate to ask another fella for anything. And uh, Marcel did his funny voice. He said, he said, it's tantamount to saying, help me, but I don't care. <laughs> sure, I'll accept all the help I can get. So Arthur threw his dad a text uh, with, with, along with the photo to say, Dad, can you identify what these are? And it, dad was in a meeting. Roman was in a meeting. And he couldn't help Arthur at the time. So uh, Marcel said to me in the kitchen, he said, uh, Roman's really going to regret not taking the call when, um, when Arthur's dead. <laughs> but Arthur sensibly, probably very sensibly, decided he wasn't going to have the mushrooms after all. And uh, so, uh, so then when, 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 when Roman did get back to Arthur, it turned out he didn't recognise them. Maybe they don't have them in Latvia, I don't know but uh so there you go not very nice mushrooms don't bother just don't bother paint them by all means you can buy the glass if you want uh not sure if it's up on my website yet but it will be soon if it's not there and uh and yeah just get out there and get get picking get foraging um and get enjoying get enjoying the autumn um while, while we have it because it's beautiful <laughs> Well, that brings us to an end of this week's episode of Sketch Therapist. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this rather long ramble. Um, Just a quick reminder, Saturday afternoons, autumn bounty... Uh, class is live and recorded 2 to 3.30 GMT plus 1 6 euros live and recorded Um, and I will go on telling you and showing you all of the beautiful autumn bounty until it really is a case of me being in complete denial and winter is upon us in all its hideousness but we'll find something lovely to do then too Tuesday nights 7 to 8.30 GMT plus 1 it's going to be more along the lines of urban sketching so there'll be scenes from Galway City where I'm lucky enough to spend a few days every week at the moment. So you can find those classes on my website now at RoisinCure.com, roisincur com, And with that, I wish you a wonderful week. And of course, as always, happy sketching.